This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Welcome back this evening. Glad you're back and I appreciate your, your attendance this evening. Uh, as we kind of pick up where we left off this morning, uh, there's a question that some of you may be asking, and it, it's, a, it's a valid question. Uh, I, I asked the question myself as we began thinking about this, this series. And the question is, isn't the Bible enough? And that's a valid question. For us here in this building, of course it is. I mean, absolutely. There's no doubt that for us, the Bible is enough. But as we've explained uh, this morning, talked about, there are other people out there, some that we're going to, to come in contact with, that the Bible, quite frankly, is not enough because they, they have no faith in the Bible. They have no belief in the Bible. And so that's what we're trying to get down to with this series of studies is coming up with proofs, with evidence, with, with uh, truth that backs up Scripture, truth that, that causes anyone, would cause anyone, or hopefully cause anyone to think, you know, maybe I need to pay attention to what the Bible says. Maybe I need to learn more about, about the Bible. Maybe there is truth there that I'm missing out on. So... As we continue on this evening, that's kind of the mindset, that's kind of the approach we're going to take, is trying to find proof and uh, study to, to back up Scripture, to, to not improve on Scripture, but to, to give, give Scripture more force, as it were. <clears throat> so, as we think about this this evening, I told you this morning that I was going to give you an example of, of how one of these events, study events is going to go. And like I said this morning, due to time, I'm not going to go into it as detailed as much as many of the other uh, speakers will, and that's a good thing. But I just want to give you a little taste of uh, what we're going to be looking at and how this is going to, going to come together. <clears throat> if you consider the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's another event that is well known in the Bible. And uh, we probably all in this building know the Bible record about this story. But I want to study with you a few things that, uh, that are outside of what the Bible talks about. Maybe a few more recent things that we can think about. Genesis chapter 19, beginning in the 24th verse, the Bible says, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and on Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. There's two words that I want you to think about and remember as we continue in our study for the next few moments. Rained and brimstone. Now brimstone is an old English word that we don't use much anymore. It means sulfur. That's what it is. Sulfur and brimstone are synonymous. So remember those two words as we continue on. That the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone out of heaven. <clears throat> did it happen? Well, of course, we believe it did. But there are many in the, in the world today that don't believe it did. If it, if it did happen, they don't believe it happened in the time frame that the Bible puts it in. 
But for those who don't believe what God has said on the matter, there's proof. There's proof that the Bible record is true. If you were to go to that area today, you would see a lot of formations uh, in the area. Uh, this, is, this picture is not great. It actually looks like caves. If you look right up here at the top, you will see the edge of what appears to be a roof. There's more behind that. But there's a, a lot of formations like this. that They're not uh, naturally formed formations. And we'll see some more that are more distinctive as we go through. But they, they look like rock formations is what they look like. But they're not rock formations. If you were to go up to this particular formation and you were to grab a handful of this, what looks to be shale down here at the bottom, it looks like rock that is sloughed off and you were to crumble it in your hand, it just turns to ash. It just turns to nothing and it, it'll just float away. You know, do you remember what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6? Peter said, in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly lives. Peter said that God turned Sodom and Gomorrah into ash. That's what it is today. Nothing grows there. It's basically the topsoil has been stripped away. The surface layer is now salt. Nothing grows the, the formations, they look like stone, but they're all ash. It's what they're made up of. Notice what Peter said at the, at the very end. This was done as an ensample unto those after that should live ungodly lives. That's the reason. That's the reason Peter wrote these words. The reason he encouraged us to remember this event is so we would not live ungodly lives. He didn't want us to end up like those people did. And that's always a danger. When we get to moving away from God, when we get to ignoring God, when we, we bring it into our thought press that God is not real, the Bible is not real, we're living ungodly lives, and we're in danger of the same result as those people in Sodom and Gomorrah suffered at that time. <clears throat> Here's another, another structure. These, these are all over the places. And again, they're, they're made of, of ash, pretty much predominantly. At the time that Sodom and Gomorrah was built, uh, limestone was the, the more predominant building material, especially in structures that were expensive. Wood, wood was used also, but when you got into temples and, and fences and things like that, that were more expensive, limestone was the, was the uh, building material that was used uh, most predominantly at that time. <clears throat> you can see along these edges, all along uh, these, these type of formations. Now the interesting thing about these formations is that limestone mixed with fire and sulfur or brimstone, the Bible says brimstone, limestone mixed with those two things, and, and intense heat changes the composition to calcium sulfate. 
Now, I'll give you one guess what these structures are, what the chemical compound is of them today. Calcium sulfate. That's what they're made of. That's what they register as on the chemical table. <clears throat> Here you see one that appears to be uh, maybe on the edge of town and might have been a, a monument of some time. We, back then they would have called it a sphinx maybe. And there's, there's uh, evidence from this that there was extreme heat. Uh, many scientists who have excavated these areas say they have seen mud bricks we would refer to as concrete. They've seen mud bricks that have bubbles in them. Bubbles. You know how much heat it takes to make concrete bubble? We don't hardly have a way to do it. It takes an intense amount of heat to make a mud brick convert back into a liquid form. Other excavators have described pieces of pottery uh, that have been turned into glass. It takes an enormous amount of heat to convert that the pottery into glass. Uh, in times past, geologists have explained this way, saying, well, there, there had to be a geothermal event, a volcano. Had to be a volcano in the area. The problem with that is there has never been, nor has known to be, any volcanic activity in that area. Modern uh, scientists and geologists have made that explanation null by understanding and measuring heat from a volcano and actually saying it's not hot enough. A volcano is not hot enough to produce the results that they saw from their excavations in the, in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Some have estimated that that heat from that area at that event at that time had to reach a temperature resembling the surface of the sun. That's about 6,000 to 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot. You know, we can't reproduce that. Mankind has never seen any other event like that produce that kind of results. Today, they've given up on the... On the uh, Volcano theory, and they describe it as ha having to have been a meteor that exploded above the surface of the earth. Now, that's, that's kind of interesting. You know, I've never seen a meteor explode, and I, I don't suppose you have either. Maybe there are, are some pictures of it somewhere, but what do you think a meteor exploding above the earth would look like? The Bible says the Lord rained down upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire. You know what gets wet when it rains? Everything. Everything. There's nothing left. Everything is wet when it rains. If you rain fire and brimstone on something, it hits it all. It burns it all. It burns it all to the ground. I don't know what that event would have looked like. We weren't there. We don't know. All we can use is the description that we have. <clears throat> Did you know that Sodom and Gomorrah weren't the only cities that were destroyed at that time? Some of history talks about five cities. 
We know from Deuteronomy 29 and 23 that there were two other cities, Adma and Zeboam, that were destroyed at the same time. I assume history talks about five cities. I assume the fifth city is Zoar, which was spared because that's where Lot went uh, to escape this, this destruction. But there were actually four cities, at least four cities that were destroyed at this time. Another interesting thing about this area is uh, the sulfur, sulfur balls that, was found, that are found today. If you walked out there, you'd see them laying everywhere on the ground. This sulfur that you find today is 90 to 99% pure, not found anywhere else in the world, nowhere else but in that area. Now, you can find sulfur in a lot of places. Sulfur is produced all over the world. Most of it naturally occurring sulfur is 40 to 60% pure, not 90 to 99% pure. This is the only place in the world that you can find that kind of sulfur. If you were to walk around that area, you'd just see them laying on the ground everywhere. <clears throat> Another interesting thing about uh, that archaeologists have mentioned about these sulfur, these brimstone balls, is the, the, the abundance that they can be found in what they believe to be parts of the remnants of these cities. But if you go out into the country in between the cities, they're not to be found. They're only in the cities. You get out in what we might refer to the country away from the cities, and it's devoid of of these brimstone balls. They're not around anymore. So isn't that interesting that the cities are, the, are, are where the destruction took place? <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Do you know any other event known to man that could produce that kind of results? I don't. <clears throat> One final picture showing a... a uh, what seems to be a, a uh, structure of some kind. You can see the ash that is, has flaked off of it over the years. So that's an archaeological proof of, of uh, the existence and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if we talked about the historical proof uh, outside of, of the Bible anyway, we might turn to uh, the historian Josephus, Flavius Josephus. He was a historian that lived and, and did his work around the time of Christ. And he wrote in uh, his book, The Jewish War, book 4, chapter 8, section 4, and I'll tell you, it's interesting to find this stuff. You better get, be ready to spend some time if you want to find that. I actually looked up what I wanted to know on the Internet, and then I went to the book of Josephus to make sure it was actually there, and it was, and it was still difficult to find, even after I knew where it was. But he wrote this about this time, and Josephus lived about 2,000 years after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here we are today, about 4,000 years, give or take a little bit, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he was about halfway between the actual event and us today. <clears throat> And he said, the country of Sodom borders upon it. It was of, an, was of old a most happy land, both for the fruits it bore and the riches of its city. Although, he says, now it be all burned up. 
It is related how that for the impiety of its inhabitants, it was burnt by lightning. In consequence of those that are still, there are still the remainders of that divine fire. Why do you think he spoke of it in this fashion? He calls it a divine fire. He knew it was an event came from God. He speaks of the consequences. He talks about why for the impiety of its inhabitants it was burned. How did he know this stuff? He goes on to say, and the traces or shadows of the five cities are still to be seen. 2,000 years after the event, he said, we've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen the results. We see the remnants. We know where it's at. It's kind of like Peter knowing where the tomb of David was. He said, we know where it's at. He says, still can be seen today. He continues on. And he says, as well as the ashes growing in their fruits, which fruits have a color as if they were fit to be eaten, but if you pluck them with your hands, they dissolve into smoke and ashes. What kind of event could create results like that? You think there's a man-made event that could create that? Not a chance in the world. <clears throat> and thus, what is related of this land of Sodom hath these marks of credibility. Now notice which our very sight affords us. Now, if I were to tell you where the land of Sodom and Gomorrah was today, 4,000 years later, you probably wouldn't put much, much faith in that. But compared to a person that lived 2,000, half the time, who, who are you going to put more faith in? Someone today that said, oh, that didn't happen. Or someone that lives back in that time that said it did happen, and I've seen the remnants of it. Josephus also recorded in his book, The Antiquity of the Jews, book chapter one, uh, book one, chapter eleven, section four. <clears throat> God then cast a thunderbolt upon the city and set it on fire with its inhabitants and laid waste the country with the like burning, as I formerly said when I wrote the Jewish war. But Lot's wife, continually turning back to view the city as she went from it and being too nicely inquisitive that what would become of it, although God had forbidden her to so, so to do, was changed into a pillar of salt. Now notice, for I have seen it, and it remains to this day. How did he know that? How did he know that Lot's wife had been turned into a pillar of salt? Not only that... How did he know why that she had been turned into a pillar of salt? Because the stories had been told. The history had been passed down. Not only that, he said, I've seen the pillar of salt. Now, I don't know what he saw. I wouldn't know what I was looking at today if I was over there. But he said, I saw it with my own eyes. <clears throat> so let me ask you this. If God punished people for their unyielding wickedness in that time, what makes us think he won't do it again? If he destroyed them with fire and brimstone, why would we believe that he will ignore our sin and wickedness today? 
Why don't we think he'll give us a pass? He won't. He's the same God as he's always been. Now, for you young folks, as you go out into the world, especially if you go to college, you're going to be bombarded with a technique that they use to claim that the earth or parts of the earth or certain products within the earth are millions and billions of years old. It's called radiometric dating. You might know it better as carbon dating or carbon-14 dating. That's been around for a long time. They, they branched out now, and they refer to it as radiometric dating, uh, and it, it uh, encompasses a lot more, but the problem still exists with it. <clears throat> if you want to know a lot about this, I would refer to, you to a, a website that a, a man has created, and, and this guy is, has a very interesting history uh, his article on this particular subject is carbon-14 dating technique does not work and it's Dr. Grady S. McMurdy and Dr. McMurdy uh, for about 20 years of his life was a evolutionist hardcore evolutionist and finally he saw enough evidence he he studied enough evidence and he re come to enough realizations that he, he couldn't be an uh, evolutionist any longer. So at that time, he thought, well, I'll be a theistic creationist. And what a theistic creationist is, is somebody that tries to combine the two, try to combine the creation with evolution. And we know it doesn't work, but that's what he tried to do. That only lasted about a year and a half, and he gave that up. And ever since that time, he's been a hardcore creationist and he writes about the problems the errors with carbon-14 dating extensively and uh, even he, he writes about some of it much of it in simplistic terms that even I can understand but if you go beyond that he also writes in terms I mean he gets into the weeds of what the problems were, are and the errors are with carbon-14 dating. And this is the primary technique they use to, to show or to try to get people to believe that the earth is uh, billions of years old. Uh, and these events that we're going to talk about occurred billions of years ago. And it's just not true. <clears throat> One problem with radiometric dating that I found that, that it's, not, it's not widely uh, uh, argued against is uh, in the some artesian wells in the, in the springs of Nevada they collected snails and these were living snails they were alive so they sent them to a lab and had them carbon dated and it came back that they were about 27,000 years old uh, you see the errors you see the problem you can find this in science.org uh, article April 6 1984 <clears throat> recently, or not recently, but back in uh, the early 1990s, um, they began to study a lava flows from a volcano in New Zealand. And uh, the ages that these lava flows yielded were astronomical. 
The volcano is known as Mount Naguraho. Uh, it's approximately in the center of New Zealand on the North Island, and it's actually been throughout time one of the most active volcanoes that's known to man. Uh, it's thought to have been active for about 2,500 years. And uh, through that span, it's had more, more than 70 eruptions since, uh, in per different periods since 1839. And these flows are distinguishable uh, down the northwestern and western slopes uh, to this day. One of the most violent explosions occurred in uh, February 19, 1975. And... That seems like a long time ago, but if you think about it, we're talking about 50 years or so or less. Uh, there are people alive today that witnessed this, this eruption. Uh, it was described as having an atmospheric shock. It was so violent that blocks up to 100 feet across were launched up to three miles. Uh, it's estimated that 120 million cubic feet of ash and blocks were ejected throughout about seven hours. And another interesting thing is there, there has been no further eruption since. That was the last one, last, last known one. So you can find an article written by Dr. Andrew A. Snelling on uh, December 1st, 1999 about this. And he talks about how he and, and other people collected samples from this volcano. Now, understand that this volcano's eruptions, many of these eruptions have, have occurred in people's lifetime. This volcano, the, the lava flows have been mapped. People have written exactly this year on this date, this flow occurred. And then on this year and this date, this flow over here occurred. It's been very well mapped out. So all of these samples that were taken were taken uh, from eruptions in the last 25 to 50 years. <clears throat> there were 11 samples that were collected from five recent lava flows during the field work in January 1996. The samples were sent progressively in batches to Geochron Laboratories in Cambridge, Boston for whole rock potassium argon dating. Now, Geochron is a very well-respected commercial laboratory on this type of dating. But when these samples were sent in, there were no specific location or expected time, age of information supplied other than they told them they were probably young. They didn't specify exactly the age. Uh, <clears throat> the dates obtained from the analysis for the rocks which were observed to have cooled in lava flows anywhere from 25 to 50 years ago. Some of us in this audience would have been alive at that time. We're less than 270,000 to 3.5 billion years old. Excuse me, million years old. You get into numbers like that and I can't, my head don't wrap around it very good. Less than 270,000 to 3.5 million years old on lava flows that were known to not be more than 25 to 50 years old. You see the problem? One sample from each flow yielded these results. All the other samples yielded ages of millions of years. And they were all 25 to 50 
years old. <clears throat> now, the argument against this, this, this is why I chose this, this event, is the argument against it. The argument against it that most geologists have is they say, well, less than 270,000 years old, that's, that's accurate. They were 25 to 50, so less than 270,000, that's accurate. What's it good for? What purpose does it serve? If you can come up with analysis that says, well, they're somewhere between zero and three and a half million years old, what good is it? It's worthless. It's not worth anything. And this is the problems that we have with carbon dating. It's not factual. It's not good science. It's almost always an error. You can find many, many examples of other errors. They've always got some argument in favor of it, but it's usually a weak argument. This was the weakest one I could find. Well, it's actually accurate. That's weak. <clears throat> the fact is, it really happened, all of it. Everything the Bible says, everything the Bible teaches, it happened, and it's accurate to this day. Romans chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Paul, Paul asked a wonderful question here. In my mind, it's a wonderful question. What if some did not believe? Does that change anything? Does their unbelief make the word of God void? No. It's just as true as it ever was. He says, God forbid. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome them. Overcome when thou art judged. Let God be true and every man a liar. Is there any greater truth than that? That may be the greatest truth of all. <clears throat> unbelief does not change the truth unbelief is just a, a problem that we have to get around a problem that we have to deal with again the Bible says in John 14 and 6 Jesus saith unto him I am the way the truth and the life no man cometh to the father but by me you want the truth you find it in Jesus you find it through the word of God <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1 and 23 through 25 has always been a scripture that describes it perfectly to me. The Bible says, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolish of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You want the truth, you look to the word of God. It hasn't been proved false. It's never been proved false. Somebody have, some people have lied about it. They've pr produced false evidence against it. And you know what? It still stands. It's still the truth today. The word of God says that every one of these events happened. God says every one of these events happened. As we begin to close this evening, I want to go back to the book of Job. And in this reading this evening, I want you to think about if you were in Job's situation, if you were sitting in Job's seat 
at this time. And, and to bring you up to date on it, Job has been worn out by his friends. They've told him over and over and over that he's got some sin problem in his life and that it's causing him all the, all the difficulties that he's dealing with. And Job, quite frankly, doesn't believe it. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying Job doesn't understand that he has sin, but he doesn't believe there's a specific reason in his life that God is causing these hardships on him that he's undergone. He, he doesn't believe that. And he gets so frustrated that finally he says, you know what, I'm going to talk to God and I'm going to ask him why this is all happening and he's going to answer me. And that's where the problem begins. The only problem begins. <clears throat> then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Now think about if you're sitting in Job's seat and you've, you've demanded that the Lord answer you. You've got questions and you want answers. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Who are you to ask me anything? You don't know anything, and you're asking me questions? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereupon if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? And it just goes on and on and on. And God asked Job questions that Job cannot answer. Because he wasn't there. He wasn't there when the foundations of the earth was laid. He didn't lay the measure upon it. He could not answer those questions. You and I are in the same boat today. God's the only one that can answer those questions. He was there in the creation. He laid the foundation. He laid the cornerstone. We didn't. No one else out there in the world of of archaeology or science or, or false science or any kind of science was there. They can't say who laid the, laid the foundation of the world. Only God can. In the coming weeks, we're going to study these events. We're going to see what history and science and archaeology, uh, how they support the Word of God. There may be some some negative things brought to life, but it's going to be a prove a point of how weak the negative things are. The good information is strong, and it supports the Bible. <clears throat> you know, we live in a time of extreme revisionist history, and I think that's what's going on a lot in the world today. People want to rewrite history. They want to change the history that's happened. You know, some want to write today that President Abraham Lincoln was a racist. We know the history. Without Lincoln, probably slavery might still exist today. He was the driving force behind that, but people still want to write it a different way. They want to revise it. Well, if they want to do that to, to a former president, what do you think they want to do to Christians? What do you think they want to do to God? What do you think they want to say about what happened a few thousand years ago? 
would it make sense that they might want to make it appear to be millions of years ago? How are you going to argue against that? <clears throat> Where were you? Bible history is basically the only societal history that tells the whole story. You can study almost any other nation, any other people, and you'll only find the good things. You won't find the bad things. They've written that out of their history. The United States today is in the process of writing, writing those things out of our history. But the Bible tells the whole story. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Whatever it may be. Have you ever thought of that as interesting? Why did God do that? Examples and samples. He wanted us to understand what we could do and what we couldn't do. What we should do and what we shouldn't do. When we do evil, it's bad. Things get bad. When we are righteous and we live good, things are good. Things go well. His word tells us of, of the successes and the failures of his people. All of the righteousness, all of the evil that comes to, from man, nothing is hidden when it comes from God. But when it comes to man, we hide it all the time. We want to fit our own agenda. So over the course of the next few weeks, it is our prayer that these proofs and evidences that are going to be um, brought about, brought to light, will move you so that if you're not a child of God, you'll want to consider it further and you'll, you'll want to discuss these things further. We pray that these studies will leave you with no other choice but to understand that the truth comes from God, from the Bible. He is your creator and your only choice is to accept his invitation to be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you are a child of God, we pray that these studies will strengthen your faith and strengthen your dedication to God. It stir you up and cause you to be to desire to spread the gospel and be a part of that, to uh, continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. No matter where you go, no matter who you meet, you'll be geared up and tooled up to do that. We pray that your desire will not only be to gain eternal life, but for others to gain eternal life as well. We'll end with Jude, the first chapter, beginning in the third verse. Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This is what we're trying to do. To get everyone to earnestly contend for the faith. So I'd ask you this evening, are you earnestly contending for the faith? The faith that was once delivered, once delivered to the saints. If you're waiting on a different faith, if you're waiting on a different way to come along, to be obedient to salvation, you're wasting your time. It's not going to happen. It was delivered once. It's already been delivered. We have to earnestly contend for it. We understand what that means, but I think it's interesting when you look at the Greek word for earnestly. 
It means struggle. Struggle. Struggle to contend for the faith. And we pray that this series helps you do that. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.